GM, GM, and welcome to another episode of The Bemutable Mindset. Today, we have a guest who is truly revolutionizing the digital art space. She's an artist, an entrepreneur, and a visionary who is painting a new universe in the realm of NFTs. This is a woman who has taken inspiration from the mid-century era, World War II, the space race, and the story of the Radium Girls, and woven them into a mesmerizing and powerful narrative through her collections, Women and Weapons and Artrium Wars. But she's not just an artist, y'all. She's also an entrepreneur who's navigated the fluctuating, and I do mean fluctuating, NFT market with resilience and creativity. Despite the challenges, she's always focused on building and improving, and she's always seeking to push the boundaries of what's possible, and we're going to dive in that today. She went from working in a hospital to working from home and from maintaining a traditional work schedule to being constantly engaged with her projects. But what's most striking about her is not just her impressive career transition, but her humble approach to success. And now she's embarking on an ambitious journey to bring her characters to life, developing an animated character named Nova, who serves as a bridge between Web3 space and traditional media. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the unstoppable and incredibly talented Sarah Ballman. Hello. Wow. You guys really did your research for that intro. I'm impressed. Thank you. You are most welcome. Most welcome. <laughs> you know, love all the sound. Always, effects. always. I think, you know, what am I? Um, what, what, what do you, what's the, what's the term you've given me, Adam? I'm the hype man. I'm a, I'm like the resident. You're the hype man. You're the hype man. You like have Kevin just follow you around and, and, and before, before anybody has their next job interview, you want me going in there and telling them who you are first. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I support this. Imagine that as a service offering, oh. Kevin. Let's put it, let's put it on our notes pad, our ongoing notes pad. We imagine there's somebody that hypes you up before you'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, before you even interview Sarah today, you gotta talk to so Kevin. So this is like the Will Ferrell brothers thing, but like I'm actually like good at what I do. I feel like it should be like an option, you know, when people are filling out the resume thing, like when they're applying for a job and they add the attachments, they should have like a little sound bite of you just like hyping up Ooh. whoever it is that's applying for the job. Boom. What if we interview people for 10 minutes on a podcast and we put their video podcast in their interview? <gasps> I don't know. We're just spitballing here. We're Immediate just, hire, maybe, there's hopefully. An, there's an, if there's not an right app here. for that, AI, if you're listening, create it now. Okay, thanks. Yes. There are some limitations to video interviews. People talk about accessibility and all that too. But anyway, Kevin, your show. Yes, Go with yes, it, man. Yes. Well, as you said, yes, we did a little bit of research on your background. And wow, you have quite a background in this space and even beyond that. And a successful background as an artist. I mean, you, you've done creations for well-known folks that we all know. Tons of public speaking engagements. And then, of course, your, your, you know, the, the role as the founder of, of Women and Weapons, a, a very acclaimed Web3 brand. You know, you, you've been on this incredibly successful journey as an, as an independent artist. And, you know, again, it's been, as we mentioned, all the people that have collected it. How did you venture into the world of art? How did you get your start? Let's bring our audience into just the start for you. Yeah, I think for me, um, art has always been my passion. I think from the time that I had the capability to be aware of what my interests were, Art was the first thing that I navigated towards. I do also think maybe it's a little bit genetically ingrained within me as well. Uh, pretty much my whole family in Iran are all artists. They're graphic designers, painters, architects, you name it. Um, and then my dad's side of the family that's here also have a background of being painters and artists also. So I think from, from the dawn of time, uh, it was expected that I would be somehow involved with the arts. However, I do have a Middle Eastern mother who's also an immigrant to the United States who, you know, 
predominantly raised me on her own. And I think she really wanted me to have a sustainable career, which is why I think I ended up in healthcare yep. doing art part-time. So, I have an immigrant mother, trust me, doctor or lawyer or nothing else. I know. Doctor, lawyer, or engineer. Those are your three <laughs> options in your life. Nothing else is acceptable. Yes, absolutely. Hi, so wait, uh, so my, 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 my question is, do you remember like your, your, were you like exceptionally gifted as an artist early on? Like when you were in kindergarten was a teacher, like we got to, we got to flag this girl over here. She's going to, she's going to do something with that because I need, I need to also say a caveat too. We, we met in person and I've seen you draw in person and uh, video also and real deal right here. Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, it's funny. I like actually am horrible at drawing live or drawing on camera. It's like a real big anxiety thing for me. You wouldn't even um, know it. But certainly from the time that I was a kid, I think I was like, you know, I was always in different art classes and what have you. And my teachers were always like, you know, you are really good at this. This is something that you should really, really focus on and hone in on. And of course, the great thing about high school and middle school is that you get to take all kinds of classes for free. So I really utilized those years to take different sorts of courses with uh, film photography, with sculpture, with ceramics, with painting, you name it. Love it. Um, and then, of course, you navigate to college and it's like you have to either be part of that degree plan or pay for oh, it. Yeah. So kind of that went by the wayside, unfortunately. You know, especially I always find it interesting and because you brought up mom and just that piece and especially the immigrant, because I understand that so well as these teachers and you're getting all this acclaim for your art is I mean, obviously she's probably noticing, right? But she still wants this engineer, this doctor, this lawyer. At what point, or was there a pivot point for your for your mother, your family, where they were like, okay, okay, she's she's got a gift and we just need to, we just need to let this ride. You know, my mom, I think she recognized that it was something that I was passionate about and something that I was gifted in whenever I was young. And so she actually had me doing like paid art classes uh whenever I was nice. a kid. But you know, I think she didn't really want to put too much of a focus on art as like my predominant career. She always told me like, you know, that can always be your backup option. That can always be your plan B. And it really wasn't until like two years ago that she was finally like, okay, oh, okay. I could see how you can make this a career now. So like, nice. go ahead. You now have my, uh, my wink and my nod for you got doing the blessing that. From mom. So it literally wasn't until I was like, almost in my thirties that she was finally like, okay, you can pursue art now. Hmm. I accept it. She sounds like somebody I know. Uh, very familiar, very familiar. Uh, wait, yes. so I have, I have a, I have a question. I have a, I have a question if you don't Please. mind jumping in and we're not going to get too far down the NFT. So like, do you remember the first time you talked to your mom about taking your art to the web and like what the heck an NFT was? Like, did you have to break it down for her? What was that like? Yeah. Well, I will tell you right now that my mom is not technologically gifted at all. She has never owned her own laptop. It was a hard press to get her to get an iPhone. So as you can imagine, me trying to explain to her how I was going to be like minting my artwork on the blockchain as a digital collectible, she was like, I have no idea what these words are that you're using, but if you can make money off of it and turn it into a career, then sure, may the odds be ever in your favor. Um, and I think even to this day, she will tell her friends like, you know, my daughter has made it, you know, ish as a fairly successful artist. And her friends are like, oh, my God, where can I buy her artwork? And my mom's like, I have no idea. Open That's tea. a great question. I don't know. <laughs> what is that one of the, the seven? No, OpenSea. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, she has no idea what the name of any of the websites are. <laughs> she just doesn't really. I think so. I did a little TikTok with my mom, I think, like a year and a half ago or so, where I was asking her to give her rendition of some of our like acronyms in web three. And so like I asked her to That's good. give us her re rendition of what an NFT was. And she was like non-futuristic Turkish. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we are not close at all, but uh, 
That was a valiant effort right there. Yeah. By the way, right. that, that, that is also an NFT. Yeah. <laughs> that is also an NFT. Does it mean anything? Probably not. <laughs> Probably but not. hey, more power to her for the creativity. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's hilarious. Kevin, aren't you doing something similar with your wife? Aren't you starting yes. to have these conversations uh, no. and recording uh, uh, them? So we started a show because I, all right, all right, yes. All right, so you, you can bring it up. Okay, greatest crate. We get it hard, and we go down rabbit hole. We try things. So, because you just brought it up, like honestly, my my mother and my wife, it's witchcraft. Whenever whenever people talk about what I do <laughs> in blockchain and Web three, right? They're like, it, they just like not even joking. They just say it's witchcraft, and everybody's like, ha ha. And yeah. Like, well, that's like it just sounds like magic potions. It sounds like he has his Harry Potter. Like he, he's just doing magic potions when he's talking. I'm like, I I understand. So. To that end, and to to like how your mother answered, me and my wife were like, you know, my I asked my wife what an NFT was, and similar response in terms of, but she's like dead serious, like this is what witchcraft, this Oceans. is what she believes. So then I was like, all right, let's just start a show where I'm just going to ask you what it is, but then I'll educate the audience on what it actually is after, provides a little entertainment value, you know, something like that. I might, I yes. might do my mom next. That might even be more well, entertaining. Well, now let's see what it's like whenever you start introducing AI oh, and deep fakes. Oh boy, get ready for that <laughs> one. <laughs> I'm not. Oh boy, here we go. Ooh, good, good point. Good point. Going back to the the NFT, just your your first experiences in the in this in the space. For me, luckily for me, well, not luckily or whatever. You know, it was it was pretty early. Me hearing about um, crypto punks and hearing hearing about Cool Cats was one of the first ones. And I think Cool Cats is like what drew me in. Where I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool art. And then what was it? Was there was there an NFT project that that started to capture your imagination for like, oh, wow, this is this is what I can do, too. You know, honestly, it wasn't really an NFT project at all. It was my husband. Okay. So as you can imagine, working in the hospital system, you barely get to touch your phone because you're in patients' rooms, you're on the floor, you're talking to doctors, you're talking to nurses. And so I barely ever, you know, looked at my phone during the day. I'd pretty much look at it whenever I got home in the evening or in the morning before I was going to work. And so my husband is always, he's always at the tip of what's new and what's upcoming. And so he was like, Sarah, you really need to start paying attention to this NFT space. Like you really got to get into it. You got to go read about it. So on and so forth. Um, I made a Twitter. I started kind of like diving in. And of course, at that point in time, I had like I don't know, five followers or whatever, but kind of getting getting an idea of what the community was like, how people were supporting each other within this space, the opportunities it lended itself to, especially artists in regards to like royalties and perpetuity in regards to your artwork on the blockchain and so on. And then also kind of seeing the multitude of people from all sorts of different backgrounds kind of culminating together in this space to build really cool stuff. I was like, okay, there's something really neat here. I need to start taking my time to start researching into it and learning about it and so on and so forth. And so it wasn't really a particular project. I think that spiked my interest. I think it was more so the space as a whole that spiked my interest and allowed me to kind of recognize what the possibilities were. But of course, you know, I think one of the first projects that I was privy to was Board Ape Yacht Club, as I think is the case for most people. And I remember whenever I was first learning about NFTs and my husband was trying to explain Board Ape Yacht Club to me. I remember like going on OpenSea and seeing the price in ETH and thinking that it was USD. And I was like, these, why are people talking about how expensive these things are? It's like, you know, $14 USD or whatever, like just what's the big deal. And then I realized what the value or the price of ETH was. And I was like, Oh, these are expensive. Okay. Got it. Yeah. This is different. <laughs> How do I buy that? Yeah. Where does that come from? Yeah. How do you, how do you get that? How does one acquire this, this ape? I don't and, know. And now we treat ETH like they are pennies 
and and, and like it is just dollars now. I feel like. Yes. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're we're kind of on the up and up. We've we've been That's worse true. off, That's right? True. That's true. <laughs> true indeed. True indeed. Okay. So so you saw a board ape that that at least. And then you saw the, you know, what could be possible from the money. Did that start to get you thinking, okay, this, this could actually be something that I could make into a career that, I, well, maybe that I could make money and start making money on. We'll get there to women and weapons, but what started us getting to the first thoughts of, of women and weapons and, and a collection and all that? Well, women and weapons originally started out as a 10, 10 piece gouache painted collection that I did on like nine inch by 12 inch canvas paper painted in gouache. What's gouache? What's what's gouache? Gouache is kind of like a high, it's a type of paint. It's like a hybrid between acrylics and watercolors. So they can be like really, really thinned out to be more like watercolors or you could paint them and they're very opaque and matte kind of like with acrylics. And so I, it was actually my first time experimenting with that medium with the women of weapons collection. I was like, well, you know, let me try and mint these as, you know, one-on-one art pieces. They actually sat for like a month and a half ish before boom, Gary Vaynerchuk becomes my first collector and everything goes gangbusters. Um, but during that sitting for a month and a half period, I think that was also me kind of looking at the ecosystem and looking at the NFT environment and recognizing that like perhaps these one-of-one art pieces aren't necessarily purpose-built for the space. Perhaps a 10,000-piece collection with which you know a multitude of people can own a piece of my artwork is more purpose-built for the space. And so I started working on that 10,000-piece collection probably during the time before... Gary purchased, but I was working on it slowly. And then of course Gary bought and I was like, oh my God, I've got to really like kick it into high gear and start getting these guys pumped out because obviously momentum is highly important. Yep. That's a good place. So, so Gary, all right. So Gary, Gary gives you that energy and excitement you need. You start women and weapons. The collection sells out within four freaking hours and generates yes. a lot of money. We'll say yes. Millions. All right, we'll go millions. Yes. Okay, people, millions. We'll say it. millions. I think, it's, I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah, can you share the story behind the creation of it? And what, yeah, what was your motivation behind? Was it was it Gary? Um, no, it actually wasn't Gary. It was the the seeking a collection that was more purpose built for the space, something that a multitude of people could hold that could look at. They could have their character. They could have this piece that essentially what the 10-piece Women of Weapons collection stood stood for, which was this kind of female empowerment, but also a little bit of storytelling and also a little bit of, you know, kind of the undertones of the symbols and the metaphors of the weapons that women carry into their everyday. And also, you know, I had kind of, I think... I'm one of those people that I'm not really a wordsmith. I'm not great at getting my emotions or my thoughts out in words. I'm much better at like putting them on paper as art pieces. Um, and so I think that there was a lot going on in my head at that time uh, with the Women and Weapons collection coming about, particularly the mid-century era, the way that women were portrayed and received and so on during that period, during World War II, where we kind of saw this dichotomy of like, you know, these advertisements where they're showing a man saying, you know, show her who's boss with his foot on her head and she's on the floor. This imagery of a woman across a guy's lap and he's spanking her because she brought home the wrong type of coffee. Um, but also there's that juxtaposition of these women went into the war force. They started working in these factories and they essentially helped hold up the nation while many of these men were at right. war. And so there's this the, kind of- Like the Rosie Rivet kind of- Rosie the Riveter, yep. And so there's yeah. kind of this like, this disconnect in the imagery of women in that mid-century period that I still 
think kind of exists somewhat today. And so that's originally what a lot of the artwork was was meant to depict. And of course, same with the 10,000 piece collection, but now add the opportunity for storytelling and building out characters to it. And so from the get-go, really one of my big focuses has been storytelling and building out these characters in this Women and Weapons universe. So focus was not really developed when Gary came on board, but actually prior to that, Gary was just an immense like boost to my confidence, this kind of recognition. It was fuel on the fire. Yeah, he was fuel on the fire. And also I think you know, a lot of times we get stuck in this in this rut where we just think that there's no opportunities available to us. We're never going to get anywhere. Our dreams are never going to come to fruition. And then I think when Gary bought, it was kind of like that wake up moment for me that was like, if you have a dream, you kind of have to go for it. You kind of have to put yourself out there and take risks. And so, of course, you know, shortly thereafter, the Women and Weapons 10,000 piece collection comes about, which, by the way, I was working in the hospital nine to 10 hours a day, coming home, spending five to six hours in the evening drawing all those different assets and pieces and attributes and what have you. But yeah, it's it's been a, a wild ride. It was a wild ride coming up to the sellout of that. And let's put a timestamp on that. What, what's the, the the month and year? So I want to say that the 10 piece Women and Weapons collection Gary bought, I want to say in August of 2021. And then the 10,000 piece collection sold out October, 2021. So let's, let's hit the rewind button. And I'd love for both of you to add some color here. Two, two years ago in this space, I mean, that's a lifetime in, in NFT land. Yeah. The bro culture was, was beyond prevalent, right? Like it was, it was beyond, I mean, we're talking the punks and the apes. Anytime you went to any NFT event, I remember my first New York NFT event. And I think it was, it was that summer, it was early pandemic. Um, people wearing masks inside. It was 98% dudes and it was a toxic I felt like I was in a fraternity house before the sorority came in for a mixer. There was something off about it. So for a project, it was. I mean, that's literally what it felt like. So a hundred percent been there, unfortunately. Right. And, and it was palatable. I remember I remember that that hot summer day in New York. I was like, where am I? Why am I in this space? And there had to be a breakthrough. And I look at projects like yours and and World of Women and all the other truly true female empowerment projects out there. And the time was right. What was your feeling at the time? Were you, were you intimidated about the space? Were you excited about it? Were you like, fuck it, I'm just going to jump in and, and do my thing here. But what was your take on the space at that time? Yeah. I mean, for me, I wasn't focused at all on like the bro culture or the fact that like a lot of the people that were within the space were men or what have you. It was very much a, I'm focused on doing me. Um, I'm focused on putting my artwork out there. And that's my primary goal and focus. The rest is just extraneous noise that is not really important for me to pay attention to. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like maybe I didn't pay attention to like a lot of the bros in the space or, you know, maybe a lot of people were just really kind, but like I hadn't really received a lot of negativity. I actually feel like a lot of people accepted me into the space and women and weapons into the space with fairly open arms. And that's fantastic. And and I and I had Shannon Snow. I spoke to her at Vika and I had her on too. And we talk about accessibility for for yeah. women, females, yeah. and 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 girls itself too. Where this bro culture was kind of like this force field keeping them out of it. What was kind of that intention going in with the women and weapons collection to make it accessible and attractive? Um, and inclusive. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you didn't see a lot of female faces in the crowd, right? Whenever you were in the NFT space, you definitely didn't see a lot of tomboy female faces, which I really think that, you know, women and weapons is a reflection of who I am, right? I'm a big time tomboy. I really have never been a girly girl. It's just not in my DNA. And so women and weapons, I think kind of reflects that 
bit of a tomboy, kind of a badass, but also somebody who's wanting to make the world a better place type of individual. Um, And, you know, one of the big focuses with Women and Weapons for me was to make sure that the faces that people saw in Women and Weapons were somewhat representative of themselves, their family members, their friends, and so on and so forth, which is why you kind of see like a mixture of different ethnicities within the Women and Weapons ecosystem and sphere. And of course, as much adaptation as I could with them, given that they were obviously generative artwork. But I wanted it to be something that like, you know, there there's a project here for this type of woman. There's a project here for this type of woman. Women and Weapons is the project here that's out there for the tomboy, the tough girl, you know, that type of individual. Yeah, I love that. And and for, for my own piece to this and like, yeah, honestly, I, I didn't even notice it. And that's a fallacy. A fallacy. Is that the word? I don't know. A fallacy of being a man in terms of just like your, your blind spot, right? because I'm a man. And so, you know, I, I buy a Toyota, I notice other Toyotas. It became prominent to me when I had this experience and I've told this experience many times and I was like, what the fuck is this? Here's the, what the fuck is this experience? I'm at this conference. I'm in a group of, I think there's seven of us. There's five men and two women. And this gentleman comes and joins us and he goes around and I, I, I'm sure you're going to know where I'm going to go with this. He shakes all the bros hands, all the bros hands and doesn't shake any of the women's hands. And so I grew up with uh, I grew up with two sisters and a mom, and I'm all about uh, women power, and I'm not afraid to mm-hmm. speak my brain. So I was like, "Hey, excuse me, excuse me, sir, why didn't you shake their hands?" He was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't want to I didn't want to offend anybody." I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" He's like, "Oh, these are developers on on the team." He was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I thought these were wives." What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, what? No. So. Right. But that's the bro culture that started this. And that's what finally placed it that, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even recognize that this was such a prevalent thing in this space, but it is. And, you know, in terms of just what you've seen in in your own perspectives, from what I felt like was absolute the bro culture, I feel like we've kind of progressed a little bit where it's starting to get less and less. Right. How have you seen this space evolve to from then to what we're talking about to a little more now? First and foremost, I feel like I want to put out there that like, I think part of the reason that maybe I haven't been as aware of these happenings is because I am maybe a little oblivious and also partially the type of person who I'm not going to wait to be acknowledged. I will walk up and shake your hand and say, hi, I'm Sarah. It's nice to meet you. I'm not going to wait for you to come around and shake my hand. And even if you did skip me, I'm still going to reach my hand out and I'm going to say, hey, I don't think you shook my hand. It's nice to meet you. I'm Sarah <laughs> um, and make my presence known. I like that. But I do think for for sure we've seen a massive change in the space. I think we've seen a lot of like, you know, a lot of reduction in flippers, right? A lot of a reduction in the bros, I, bros, quote unquote. But I also feel like we've seen a massive acceptance of women within the space and also a lot of influx of really brilliant women into the space. Um, we're seeing so many different female devs, female CEOs, female COOs, female founders, you name it, who are now out there and they've got a loud voice and they're showing how smart they are and what great amounts of progress and great amounts of... um evolution they can add to the space. And I think as a result, we've seen a lot of acceptance in that regard and a lot more acknowledgement. Do we still have room to grow? Absolutely, we do. But, you know, it's certainly worth giving um, a nod to the fact that the space has become much more open, much more accepting. I know VCon this past year uh, versus VCon the year prior, I feel like I saw a lot more female faces out and about. A hundred, a hundred percent. And and I was and I, I was talking to Sarah before we went on the air. I've been going through my VCon content. I'm gonna throw a number out there. I'm gonna say it was 
65, 35, you know, it was a 60, 40, maybe even like there, there was a very good split. There was a very good split compared to, to, to last year. And that was refreshing to see. And when you walked the concourse yes. and you saw the activations and you saw the, even, even Mattel with their Barbie activation mm-hmm. was drawing it in. And which I think you were right Boss next Beauties. to Yeah. yeah which right, next to, it was right next to, right next to Boss Beauties with their, with their partnership too. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. And people have to realize that we're still so early in this that, you know what, we're going to have our growing pains and we're going to have our bullshit that we got to work through to get to the point. Just like any any revolution, there's different phases of it. And not only that, you saw a lot of groups of like mixed individuals. You saw lots of groups that were both female and male that were walking around mm-hmm. together. I know I spent a lot of time with couples. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of couples, which you see actually a lot of female and or I'm sorry, husband and wife founders in the NFT space, which I think is kind of neat. Like you see Betty and Psych, um, you see Maya and Ben, you see uh, Lisa and her husband, Yam and Raf, Jake and myself, uh, which is really cool. But, you know, also just people are starting to mix a little bit more and blend together a little bit more. And I think what that yields is obviously a little bit more diversity among teams within the Web3 space and within technology. And hopefully that's going to continue to ripple and broaden. You know, absolutely. And, and not to tangent this real quick, but, you know, kind of, I think a lot of what's unfortunately happening right now with uh, Coinbase and, and Binance. And, and um, you know, if we're all going to make it, then we all got to come together to make it, right? If that's all, it, I, I hate wag me, but whatever. But no, but, you know, I'm just in the transition and the whole process of kind of like getting to where we're at. I bring this up all the time, right? Like back in Web2, go to CES, go to these conferences again. You're an Apple user. I'm an Apple user. Oh my God, we're best friends. Never, ever happen. <laughs> Never, ever, ever happen, right? <laughs> but Wait, you're women and weapons? I'm women and weapons? Let's be best friends. Yes. All the time. All the time. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, red, yellow, green. Doesn't matter if you're short, tall, small, female, male. It doesn't matter. It creates a bridge that it it is in such a unique way that I think people are going to begin to understand. And and as they get more involved and these prices come down, hopefully a little bit, um, so that people can get more involved. This this all makes sense. But no, please go ahead. Well, and you know, I... This is me getting real nerdy, Um, but I think like a cool point of psychology to talk about right here is the fact that like a lot of people within the Web3 space, they don't share their face, right? I know in in our community, people generally don't share their political affiliation, their religion, and oftentimes not even what country they're from. And so we've had a lot of opportunities to make friends with people based off of who they are and how they converse and what their interests are without ever seeing what they look like, what their political background is, what their religious background is, yada, yada, where they are from in the world. And I think what's made the fact that like when we see each other in real life at these different conferences feel so magical and so sparkly and like almost like you're meeting a distant family member is the fact that we've had that opportunity to connect on kind of like an internal level before we have that opportunity to connect on that external level. Um, And so I think that's part of why like the really good communities that are within the Web3 space are so dense and so tight is because we've had that opportunity to connect with one another without the judgment of the external you know, whatever it is that we oftentimes make decisions off of immediately. Interesting. So let, let, let's let's talk about community for a second here. And you probably had this inkling when you're starting this big project, like, shit, I got to build a community. Did it feel something organic or did it feel like something you had to do? And what was kind of that mindset into how and intentions on how you wanted to build your community? 
Yeah, I would say it was definitely something more so organic than anything else. Um, I think a lot of people started gravitating towards the project because they liked what it said. They liked that it was art focused. They liked that it was focused on giving back and making the world a better place because, you know, we we support the Malala Fund with Women and Weapons because we firmly believe that education can be a girl and a woman's weapon. Um, and so I think that it naturally, um, <laughs> it naturally brought in like a really awesome grouping of individuals that once they were within the community really vibed with one another. And then I've also tried to make it a point as a founder that like, if these people are taking the time to put their energy into me and this project that I have created, then I also need to give my time and my energy back to them and support them and really take the time to get to know who they are. Um, And I think that's part of why our community has grown the way it has organically and become as deep as it has. The Immutable Mindset is proudly supported by MetaIntro, the professional resume wallet for Web3. The multi-chain custodial wallet holds proof of employment, proof of skill, proof of education, replacing the old PDF resume. Adjacent to the project, MetaIntro runs a massive Discord community dedicated to Web3 jobs. Around 4,000 opportunities are posted in the community every month. For more information on MetaIntro, head to www.metaintro.com. That's metaintro.com or follow us on Twitter at metaintro. Thanks. And I don't want to bring this back to Gary Vee, but if you talk about a community, you talk about a, a founder and a creator giving back the time and putting the energy. I mean, he's he's one of the gold standards to, to like, he's not better than anybody else. Yes. Like, you don't just, and, and I think that's one of the things, I mean, listen, we've had our rug pulls and we've had our other bullshit too, but like, that's one of the core tenets of a successful project. It's yes. Having a, a founder deeply involved with the community. But you know what that is? I think that's a show of passion, not just passion for your project or your artwork, but also passion for your community and also a passion and respect for the space itself and the technology and the ecosystem and the culture that's here. Um, And so I think it's very quickly identifiable when somebody doesn't have that passion or is not genuinely invested in the technology, in the space, in the community for the right reasons. That's pretty immediately identifiable and something that I think we've seen kind of play out with many projects that have, you know, kind of disappeared. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, gosh, talk about talk about passion. I think next to passion in the dictionary is Gary V's face could be, but uh, we'll and if sure. not, it's gonna For and if sure. not, it's gonna be there soon. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tangent this one more time because I, I absolutely wanna get your take on this, but I really, really, really wanna get your take on this because you're an NFT artist and you brought up something, you brought up anonymity. I have I have been curious about anonymity in this space and I am so back and forth on this one, why I support it and then why I don't. And I, I, it it hurts me because it's just, uh, it's so painful. What, there's two sides of the coin there. What's your, what, just, just curious what your take is on the positives and negatives possibly of anonymity in this space. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like you where I can very much be for it in some regards and also sometimes against it in some regards. I totally see how anonymity might be something that somebody prefers because maybe they have social anxiety and they don't want to be, you know, bombarded by humans whenever they go out. Or maybe, you know, they want, I mean, who knows, you know, somebody's brand blows up and they don't want to have to go to like a restaurant and people recognize them. And like, because I think a lot of times fame is it very much limiting for a lot of people and can lend itself to a lot of like mental health issues. And so I totally understand people wanting to protect themselves in that regard. I also understand why people would want this 
digital identity that they have purchased into to be their reflection of themselves on the internet. That's totally understandable also. And, you know, some people have used it as a way to protect their families. Say they say something because, you know, sometimes the mob will come after you. Especially on Twitter. Especially on Twitter. And so obviously like having that anonymity can also be a layer of protection. But then there are obviously people who use it in a very negative way. Um, The people who take that anonymity and use it as an opportunity to be able to say, anything that they want online, even if it's something that's really hurtful towards people. Um, so I think that there are two sides to the coin. There's certainly positives that are there. And then there's also, you know, great negatives that are there too. Um, but I definitely don't fault anybody for wanting to utilize their anonymity within the Web3 space. I think that's something that's unique to us in Web3. I can see obviously a lot of positive use cases for it, for for self-protection, for family protection and so on. And then there's also a lot of negative use cases for it as well, that there's always going to be bad actors in any industry that you go into definitely and i i definitely understand that absolutely from a from a fame perspective for sure and actually in, in a recent chat you mentioned that you don't really perceive your status in web3 as fame maybe that's why you don't need the anonymity so much but you know it's more like having friends yeah can you elaborate on how this shift has affected your outlook on your work and and, and the web3 community in general yeah i mean i think one thing that's true is it always holds you to a high standard right? Like you always want to make sure you're putting your best self forward, your best artwork forward, because regardless, this is going to be a a reflection of you as a founder, you as an artist and your brand. And so I think one positive for me of not utilizing anonymity is the fact that it holds me to kind of a gold standard. Not that I don't think I would not try and hold myself to that, even if I were preferring to be anonymous, but certainly having your face out there you want to perform better. You want to do your best. You want to be your best. And so I think that that's also been kind of like a positive psychology in regards to using my quote unquote flesh, flesh face PFP uh, on social media. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting too. Like I, I it's funny. I, I kind of think about the, the I kind of think about the, um, the artists in this space. When I go back to VCon, it was like the all-star game. It was like every, everybody was there. And I was like, I got invited to a dinner the last time I was there and I look around the table and it's like, all the names that we know yes. is kind of like the, the Last Supper painting. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, I, I guess I'm here. I don't, yeah. I don't know how I ended up at this table. And there's Betty and this. And they're all just sitting there at this dinner. And it's like, it, it's cool because you are a brand. You are, you are part of the brand and, and, and going down that path. Um, what, what's your biggest fear in, in this space? What do you think the biggest threat to the, the continued or, or the perpetual success of, of, of NFTs from a technology standpoint and from an art standpoint, right? Because NFTs attack. I think probably one of the biggest threats is not continuing to develop solid use cases. And obviously, I think there's also a lot of issues we're seeing in regards to like scams. Unfortunately, like, you know, we saw how much FTX crumbled the progress that we had made so far. And so it's always like, you know, when you see the next situation or next company or whatever that has had some sort of like a, a, bad action within them, you see it as like another ding to the progress that we're making here because it is such incredible technology, right? There are so many use cases that we need to continue to work on and develop. And I feel like I've said it before that I do feel like we're in a bit of a web two and a half as opposed to like a web three right now. Um, We're still figuring out like where our best fit is, which, you know, I was actually just listening to uh, Carly P. Riley's overpriced JPEGs interview with um, Mags and Avery Akinini. And one of the things that Avery was talking about is that like, you know, the more and more we see these deep fakes coming out that people really can easily buy into the more we see importance regarding NFTs and blockchain technology. And so I think right there is probably a use case that we're going to see 
evolving more and more. It's so funny you say, because there's another one I thought about. It's about the verification. So I was interviewing Farouk at VCon, not trying to name drop or anything, but I'm doing a fit check on him. And he's really wearing Artifact. He's wearing the the, the, the self-lacing, Kevin, correct me on the correct name of them, the self-lacing one. Crypto in real life kicks, which are on their way to my house. Okay. Oh, nice. Great. And and then his jeans were 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 Levi's, all like decked out, kind of customized, but it had an NFT chip in the in the label. And that's when it kind of went off in my head. Like, think about like the use case of like verifying authenticity of physical clothing, collectible. Like, I was like, all right, here we go. This guy's there's a reason this guy's the man. Yeah, and I think that's something that's certainly been like talked about multiple times now is like, you know, you see a lot of these luxury handbags that are oftentimes counterfeit and they have to right. be taken to somebody to be verified of their authenticity, right? Um, which is a problem that potentially could be solved with an NFC chip that, you know, links itself back to the blockchain in a verified mm-hmm. um, wallet address. Or it's say, an, actually, I, I'm a big fan of American Greed. I don't know if y'all ever watched that show. Couple. Um, but I was just watching, yeah, I was just watching an episode that was talking about this woman who made like $40 million off of selling counterfeit art pieces like Picassos and Jackson Pollocks and what have you that perhaps, you know, could have been evaded had it, you know, had an NFC chip in it that linked back to a verified address on the blockchain, yada, yada. So like, certainly there's a lot of use cases for it. It's just, and it's something that's been talked about already. And I know there's several companies who actually provide this sort of technology. People recognizing that there's a need for something or it's a problem that needs to be solved. And then also onboarding people to be interested. Well, it's actually something that's happening right now. I'm a huge sneakerhead. I sell sneakers, right? And I have very expensive Travis Scott dunks, you know, that get faked and faked and faked and sold and sold and sold. So Nike, absolutely. So Artifact, one of our uh, previous clients, shout out to Artifacts, yes. you know, within their shoes and the shoes I'm getting, like you said, there's NFC technology, there's move to earn technology in there, right? Well, they'll put us on quests and these quests will earn us things to bring back value back to Nike. And Nike will have a much better relationship with me as a result because it's, it's exactly, exactly. So I'm, you know, I'm the, the I'm starting to see these big brands and I'm starting to see the, the wheels moving right. And they're like, oh, wait, wait. oh, right. blockchain tech, not NFTs, blockchain technology. And now I'm starting to feel like we're starting to see those use cases really come about the Starbucks of the world. Uh, again, as I mentioned, Nike and, and some of these bigger use cases. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It looked like. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I completely level with you on that. It's kind of like it's making me think of uh, what is it? Is it one of the car insurance companies that like you put this little device in your car and based off of like how well you're driving, if you're driving the speed limit, so on and so forth, they actually give you like discounts on the cost of your car insurance. It's kind of something similar with these sneakers that like, you know, it's able to identify that like you're exercising X amount or you've made this many purchases with Nike. And so as a result, you know, because this is verifiable, we're going to give you discounts on your next like three purchases or something like that. And it's not a code, rather it's just associated with your wallet. And so I think that this is just something that's going to take yeah. time to continue to evolve, but like certainly I think rewarding, rewarding customers and, and, um, loyal members of your community is something that's big. It's a big use case within this space. Definitely. And until mm-hmm. we, you know, until we get to that killer app, AK, you know, whatever that is, or until we get to that our aha moment. Aha moment. I, you know, I still think it's death by a thousand cuts. I think there's going to be a thousand little yeah. things that's going to bring everybody right. But until we get there, the volatility is going to reign supreme. You know, how how has the volatility in the NFT market affected you as a creator? 
you know, in terms of next projects, what you're thinking about, yeah, what, what strategies have you have you employed to, to navigate some of, of, of uh, the unexpected? I think first and foremost is getting comfortable with a pivot and also recognizing that you need to kind of plan like three months in advance as opposed to like years and years in advance. And here's why. Technology, especially in this space, is evolving and changing so rapidly, right? And so you might have a plan for something that's going to come out like a year or two years from now that literally that point could be absolutely moot within like three months, right? Because the technology has changed. The use case has changed. Somebody else has already come out with it, whatever it may be, which are actually, I think, problems that have been uh, plagued upon business and the technology industry and so on for a very long time. So it's not necessarily a new thing. But I think with the cadence at which things are evolving so much nowadays, especially here, being able to pivot and stay creative is extremely important. Um, And that's a lesson that I think we have very much learned with Women and Weapons is that we need to obviously have creative and unique ideas, but also be ready to pivot on a, what is it, pivot on a nail head pivot? I don't know. I don't know what the euphemism is. Sounds right. Sounds right. Sounds good. Yeah, something like that. But being able to pivot and evolve and also being able to reallot our time too. So I feel like, you know, there's a lot of like fluidity within the Web3 space as well. Like some weeks you have Mm -hmm. massive peaks where you're taking a lot of discovery calls. And then the next week there's like no discovery calls. You also need to figure out how to allot your time to continue to be very efficient and build as well. I love it. So let's let, let's start to, to bring it home here a little bit. And I'd love to hear about the the next phase for women and weapons. What's the next? Drop some alpha on us. What's coming? What are you excited about? What are you guys building in uh, in in Sarah's secret workshop? Yeah, I think since day one, one of the things that we've put out there is our focus is on storytelling. It's on building out these characters. It's on providing tools to our community. And so that's going to be continued our focus, or that's going to be our continued focus for our community is continuing the storytelling aspect, also continuing to add perks to our member portal where, you know, uh, our community can go in and find perks that are associated with the ownership of their NFT, um, and also continuing to build out Nova storytelling, Nova storyline, her partnerships, women and weapons partnerships, and so on. And so we actually just teased a fun little snippet of a video yesterday on our Twitter, which is uh, with a liquid death can. And so Nova has a fun video coming out within the next week or so uh, that I think is going to get people giggling a little bit. But um, just really excited to see, you know, how we can continue to grow and evolve with these characters and, you know, how people can really start using these characters to to storytell for themselves, to storytell with women and weapons, and to also be able to use them as their digital identities. The last show I saw you on was um, Women of Impact with uh, Lisa Bilyeu, right? Yes, I love Lisa. She's, she's awesome. Okay, real quick, because you said it. Impact Theory, like my dream since 2019 was to be on that show. I freaking love that show. I'm I'm enamored with Tom and everything they do. Oh my God. I Look, this is going to be sad. I'm going to tell this real sad story. I wrote Tom a three-page letter asking him to be an intern on his show. I laid it all out. Like, I was crying at the end. This is so sad. I did that. I did that. Aw. Why did you give it to me? I literally interviewed yeah, him two weeks ago. You should have come like, to the Kaizen event. Good point. I, 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 because I, mean, I, I felt like such a dweeb. I felt like such a... How did you not no. tell me this? I, I, I sat with him for 40 minutes interviewing him like three weeks ago. It was ago. so I would've, sad. Would've handed him the f- it was like... Uh, no, Tom, Tom and Lisa are two of like the nicest people. My first NFT, by the way, people. Impact Theory is my first NFT. Oh, Impact. really? They are two of the nicest people with the biggest hearts on the planet. So just, you know, keep chasing your dreams. You never know. I Just these dweeb moments. Yeah, keep chasing the dream. Yeah. 
For sure. No. I, I mean, keep putting it out there. They're really, really wonderful humans, but I also imagine they're two of like the busiest course, humans ever. So it may just take a, a revisit here and there. <laughs> I mean, Kevin, I was literally sitting up, like sitting across from him for 40 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. No, they're no, good no, humans. I will, they're I good will, humans. I'll send it to my people. Talk to his people. We'll good get it point. Over my point was in terms of impact, impact. What uh, bring what back. impact do you hope that your your project has in the Web three space and the wider world? Um, I think the hope that my that I have for impact is um to leave the world in a better place than we than we received it. Right, that's one of our biggest focuses. Hence, why we're supporting the Malala Fund is because we really recognize that there's an opportunity for girls to gain independence by having more education, especially in underserved countries, but also fostering a community of individuals that can uplift and support one another, and also telling stories of, you know, really strong, brave and incredible women. And like one thing that I love about Nova is the fact that like she doesn't fit the typical entertainment female brand where she's like kind of the damsel in distress. You know, Nova is the type that's a go-getter. She's going out there. She's kind of a little rough around the edges, um, but she's entertaining and she's lovable at the same time. And so those are some of the legacies that I want to leave behind with Women and Weapons is that kind of fostering this, you know, being good to the world, being good to one another, but also creativity, going out there, being a go-getter, being unique. You know, and kind of Nova sounds being one of a kind, being a one of one. A lot like you, Sarah. After after this interview, it sounds like she's, sounds like a lot like she's you. A little more. She's a little more bad than <laughs> I am. Um, she certainly, I think, toes the line between like being politically correct and incorrect a little bit more so than I do for sure. But definitely, I think a semblance Maybe of you live vicariously through her a little bit. Yeah, that's, I that's do I certainly go live vicariously through Nova. There's a lot more that she can say than I can say. So that's true. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, Sarah, this is the end of the show. Thank you so, so much. But before I wrap, I want to give my audience just some of the takeaways from some, some of the discussion we had with, uh, with you today. So, of course, we explored the origins of Women's and Weapons in the NFT series, drawing from mid-century history and World War II history buff, so I love it. Spun into a universe where women gain semi-superpowers. We discussed Cher's shift from hospital job to becoming a Web3 artist, her ability to blend creative and business aspects of a world, and how she's navigated the highs and lows of the NFT market as well as her husband's amazing support for her efforts. Husbands out there, happy Father's Day. Also, we got to touch on the fuckery that is this NFT space. We're, we're getting through it, y'all. We're getting through it. Sarah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for telling us about Nova, about how you're bringing your, your characters together, about what you're doing for this space. Sincerely, the impact. I absolutely enjoyed my research into your background, having this talk with you now. I love your energy and excitement. I'm so glad you're in this space and I'm so glad you're, you're helping steward us forward. So thank you. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you. I appreciate y'all having me on. And can I just say, I think you did the most thorough research on me that anybody on any show I've ever done has ever oh, done. So well, thank, thank you for you. that. I appreciate it. If you're going to come on for 45 minutes, I feel like I should know a lot about you so we can have an in-depth conversation. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Hey, you did a great job. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Bring us Let's home. bring us home. So we highly recommend checking out all things women and weapons and here's how you can do just that you can check her out at womenandweapons.io yes this will be in the show notes too y'all this will be in the show notes but i'm just gonna say it women and weapons socials we got who dot no go ahead maybe maybe you want to help me out sarah yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically it's at women and weapons across pretty much all social channels. Uh Nova is at 
either the rise of Nova or rise of Nova. And then I'm at NFT Sarah Bauman across pretty much all social channels channels. And that's Sarah without an H. And there you go. Thank you for bringing us home. Thank you again for joining us for the listeners at home until next time. Stay curious, my friends. Appreciate y'all. Have a fantastic Friday. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Immutable Mindset. We appreciate you for joining us. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Immutable Show. Subscribe, comment, and network. And catch us next week for more. Take care, folks.